They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. We don't need to go populist left or populist right. We don't need to embrace neo-Marxism or neo-fascism, these disastrous movements from the 20th century. Turns out the answer is pretty much our Bill of Rights, our story. Embrace freedom. That's the answer. And if the LP has a purpose, it's not to put people to sleep. It's to wake them up. We're here because we love liberty. And we're here because we hate injustice. We are here to save mankind. We are here to fight. Join us, the Libertarian Party, in perhaps the most exciting, grandest endeavor in history, the restoration of American liberty. Ideas spread, they can't stop them. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of Decentralized Revolution, a podcast from the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus and Mises PAC. I'm Aaron Harris, I'm your host. Uh, my guest today is someone whom uh, a lot of you have no doubt become familiar with on Twitter and elsewhere lately. Uh, all the people in sort of our Mises Caucus uh, space have been uh, telling me about this guy, and uh, it turns out he has a connection to uh, LibertyNation.com, uh, which a good friend of mine, Scott Casenza, uh, hosts the Uprising podcast over there. They're uh, uh, conservative, mostly about 25% libertarian, I would say. Scott's a libertarian, and it's a really good news deconstruction uh, weekly podcast that I highly recommend. Uh, it's called The Uprising. I'll have the links to that on the show notes page that I'm going to uh, link to and tell you about here in just a second. But my guest, um, who is a friend of Scott and an associate of, of his, which I uh, was glad to find out, uh, he's been doing some really great work at LibertyNation.com as a contributing writer, also a contributing writer over at Red State and uh, Newsweek Opinion. Uh, his name's Jeff Charles, and uh, he's recently joined the Libertarian Party, uh, mainly uh, on the strength of the Project Decentralized Revolution document that uh, we in the Mises Caucus uh, put out in December. Uh, he's going to tell you all about that and a lot more. Uh, you can uh, get the link to that document, get the links to some of Jeff's work uh, over at decentralizedrevolution.com slash 98. I really, really uh, loved getting to know Jeff, and I know you will too. It's a pleasure to to have you on, Jeff. Uh, people have been uh, talking about you, and uh, I was talking to Michael Heiss the other day, and hey, who should we have on? And uh, your name was one of the, the the few people who came up. So I'm I'm glad you have uh, uh, time to come by and say hi. I just wanted to get to know you, where you're from, and how you found your way uh, into the liberty movement. Yeah, glad to be here. I'm I'm really excited about this. Um, background, uh, I guess, in a, in a nutshell, I'm originally from Southern California. That's where I was born and raised. Um, but I've been living here in Austin, Texas, for a little over ten years. Okay. Um, so I, I, I was one of the Californians who moved to Texas before it was cool. You beat the rush. You beat I the did. rush. <laughs> I did. I hope you got it. I hope you got the, the uh, discount reflected in your uh, real estate compared to what it must be now. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've always been into politics since I was in my early 20s. 
And in 2017, that's where I started my career doing what I'm doing now as a writer. Um, I started writing for Liberty Nation. And, um, you know, things progressed from there. Um, I started writing for Red State in, I believe, 2019. Okay. Uh, yeah, 2019. Uh, in December of 2019, so really more like 2020. Um, and, you know, I got to the point where I was able to quit my day job. So I do this full time now, full time writer. I have my own podcast, um, A Fresh Perspective. I just started a new Substack called uh, Chasing Liberty. Um, and as far as politically, uh, when I was younger um, and I started getting into politics really right after 9 11. Okay. And I was more Democrat, but not really. <laughs> I just was, was identified as Democrat because that was just by default, I guess. Right. I've only voted Democrat once, and that was in 2004 when I voted for John Kerry. And um, as time went on, I realized that I was more conservative than Democrat. So I kind of drifted more that way. I didn't really know much about what libertarianism was at that point. So I was more of like the normal conservative with uh, with some neocon tendencies like a, a lot of us are. And um, but I really started shifting, I'd say, around 2015, 2016. Um, and when I started writing for Liberty Nation, I still identified as more of a conservative. I didn't really identify as Republican at that point, although I had before. Um, but I figured I was more of a conservative, conservatarian type, and my beliefs started to shift quite a bit. Um, and really to the point to where I felt like I was more libertarian than, than conservative, but I would still go by conservatarian just to make it easier. Cause I, even now I still have a lot of conservative values. Right. Um, what, one of the things that was really pivotal over time was just seeing how the Republican Party is. And I was never really under the illusion that the Republicans were the good party and the Democrats were the bad party. Uh, I thought they were both messed up. But I thought that using my voice to help to reform the GOP into something that would be more appealing to more types of voters, especially Black and Hispanic voters, I felt like that was a, a, probably the best strategy for me personally. Um, also getting the party to actually do what it says it does, because it says that it promotes liberty, but we both know that it really doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, the Libertarian Party, at this point, I knew a lot more about libertarianism. And I was, like I said, I was probably more libertarian than, than conservative. But I didn't view the Libertarian Party as really much of, a, um, of an option. Um, but even back then, I would always say, you know, if the Libertarian Party actually got its stuff together and actually, you know, wanted to be taken seriously, then I might consider jumping ship. Um, but at, for the moment, I felt like the best way was to use the Republican Party as a vehicle, which a lot of people have. I know that's a that's that's a big debate. Yep. Um, and I saw that in the conservative movement, they were starting to adopt more libertarian principles on certain issues. So I saw the. Um, the trajectory and, the, and where it was kind of going. Um, but as time went on, I became more and more disillusioned and I was still using my voice to that purpose. And, and a lot of other people are were and still are, which is fine because we do need liberty focused people in both parties, really both major parties. And I think it culminated in these past midterm elections. 
And it's funny because when I look back at my, my old tweets from 2019, 2020, I would make half jokes about becoming more of an ANCAP or more of an anarchist. And I would say, I would say things like, you, you guys keep messing with me. I'll just go full ANCAP. Right. And, I, and I, in one, I even said, in about two years, I bet I will be an anarchist. Right. And again, I was, I was half joking, but there was a lot of seriousness to it because. Well, you, you've heard that you've heard the joke, right? What's the difference between a minarchist libertarian and an ANCAP? Well, about six months, you know. About six months. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because I didn't—I didn't really go the minarchist route when I decided to to finally make the jump. I just went full full anarchist, because um, I've always kind of been that at heart. Um, yeah. You know, whether it's something that can happen in our lifetimes it, it isn't really relevant to me. It, maybe it can, maybe it can't. But the the idea is that the more that we roll back the state, the better. But after the midterm elections and just kind of seeing the fallout from that and seeing that the Republicans didn't really want change leadership wise mm -hmm. um, and even among the base, it doesn't seem like they really wanted to do what needs to be, be done to push the Republican Party to do what it says it's going to do and limit gov government. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I see a lot of conservatives adopting more authoritarian uh, policies. If you've seen some of my tweets today and yesterday, yeah. you, you can see what I'm talking about. We're we're gonna get it. We're gonna, definitely gonna get into that. I, I think that's a, a fortuitous uh, thing of the last 24 hours or so. As we're recording on Wednesday, uh, January 25th, uh, to uh, to get into because um, uh, I, I think it's important that um, we as libertarians, both big L and small L, we need to. It's funny, you know. Sometimes you'll be, um, you know, you'll be criticizing the left, and the and the the conservatives will be cheering you on, and then you veer into something else like foreign policy or uh, criminal justice or something like that, and they're like, "Whoa, I thought you were like." <laughs> they look Story at you like, "What happened?" So I, I mean, I kind of maybe have a similar thing. I think maybe I'm a little older than you, but I, I came at it. Um, Grew up in like what was literally a Reagan Democrat family. My dad was a auto worker who became a Republican over both economics and uh, abortion. Um, and I, uh, I, I became a some people their gateway to libertarianism is Ayn Rand or Ron Paul. For me, it was Rush Limbaugh. Believe it or not, really. Um, and it's a, it's actually uh, so I listened to him, and this was back before the Newt Gingrich takeover thing. And Rush was a lot more libertarian than, um, especially on domestic stuff. Foreign policy wasn't that huge. And when he did talk about it, he was criticizing the Clintons for for getting involved in uh, you know, the Balkans and stuff like that. And then once in a while, uh, Rush would have on this guest host, this crotchety old guy by the name of Walter Williams. And uh, right away, I was like, oh, man, this is the straight stuff. And I, I fell in love with uh, Walter's way of thinking. And I found uh, this is back before the Internet, really. And uh, he talked about he mentioned this thing called laissez-faire books, which was a catalog is on newsprint. You could send away for this catalog and how all kinds of libertarian uh, books in it. And so that's where I discovered, you know, Rothbard, Mises, uh, Spooner, all those guys. And so I, I too, I kind of had a, uh, a neocon relapse after, after nine 11. Um, I had some personal stuff going on at the time where my, my head wasn't in the right place. And, uh, I think it knocked us all for a loop, but, uh, kind of came back around. And, uh, for a time I was like, you it was like, okay, well, we just need to take over the Republican Party, convince mm -hmm. these guys everything's fine. I saw what they did to Ron Paul. And 
basically I came to the conclusion that I remember the, the, the very moment it was, it was during one of those debt ceiling uh, debates where, when Paul Ryan was, uh, I don't know, the minority leader, the whip or something like that. And he supposedly brokered some big budget deal that, that there was this big victory to avoid the debt ceiling. And the, the takeaway was over the next 10 years, we're going to reduce federal spending by 1%. And that was the victory. And I'm like, okay, I'm out. Right. <laughs> and so I, in that moment, something I've been thinking of was that, uh, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters, right? Yeah. Who do yeah. they play? Who do they play? The Washington generals. And every time it's the same team they play. And every time, you know, the generals, they can play some, right. But uh, uh, they always end up, looking like a fool because that's what they're there for. They're the, you know, it's the Tom and Jerry, Daffy Duck, Elmer Fudd thing. Right. And, and the Republicans are Elmer Fudd in more ways than one. They're they're just the foil for this. And they don't really, a lot of the rank and file people, I think, would respond to that conservatarian thing. And I think that's what they want, but they never get it. And the alternative is, you know, Bill Clinton, Obama, Biden. So like they're, they always, the, the I think the people who hold the strings in the Republican party know that hey, they got nowhere else to go. So all we have to do is mm-hmm. talk a good game and here we are. And so, you know, th- I think that what we have to do, and I give you, uh, I mean, I'm welcome you over to things. I, I've been in the LP since about 2010 is we have to bite the bullet and realize that there's no, like there's no magic bullet. There's no shortcut. Um, we're, we're not going to just like, you know, show up to a bunch of Republican meetings and take over the party and they're going to let us have it. Right. So we got to come up with something different, which is why we're doing this whole decentralized revolution project, decentralized revolution, uh, which uh, we'll have that up on all the show notes pages, including this one, which is decentralized revolution.com slash 98. But we got to try something different or else we're just going to be the guy, the libertarians are going to be on the bench for the Washington generals. right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, it is interesting because when I had finally realized that I had it, that I had just had it, a uh, decentralized revolution just came along at the right time. I mean, because I was, I went into to vote in the midterm elections and I went in fully expecting to vote Republican, maybe for a libertarian here and there, because I had voted for libertarians in the past. Right. But I figured, okay, I'll just vote Republican. I'll vote for Governor Greg Abbott and, and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, I got to the booth and I was just like, there was something that just came over me. And I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. I just, I can't, I can't. And it, 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 it's almost like in that governor's, um, in that governor vote, I was like, I can vote for Abbott. I'm definitely not going to vote for Beto O'Rourke, but there is Mark Tippett's. Abbott's going to win anyway. And I'm like, he hasn't earned my vote. I mean, there were things that I like, like about him and there, but there are things that I really don't like about him. And I, it's like in that moment, I like transferred the whole GOP onto Greg Abbott. He was like the whipping boy. (laughs) And because he was really a microcosm of my total dissatisfaction with, with the party just realizing that they weren't going to change. So I voted for Mark Tippett's and then I went down ballot and I voted for like a few Republicans, yeah. uh, but then I voted mostly libertarian and I, and I surprised myself a little bit. Right. And, and just, I just realized, you know, I can't do this anymore. This isn't where I'm supposed to be. I don't feel like this is where my voice is the most effective. I don't feel like this is where I'm needed. They don't want it. Um, and I just realized this party isn't going to change anytime soon. And I'm not knocking people who are still there trying to get it to live up to its 
values because we need that. Yep. But I'm done with it. Like for me personally, I served my time in that army. And then I was going through a little, I was going through kind of like a political dark night of the soul. Like what the hell do I do now? Yep. I mean, there's not a lot that was going to change because I still have the same, I still have the same beliefs. My beliefs haven't changed all that much. It's just the approach. And, you know, I started doing um, these Twitter spaces on, uh, uh, we call them Liberty spaces with my partner, Donnie. And we started doing them around that time because she had kind of gone through a similar evolution, but she arrived at this place sooner than I did. And so we were talking and we'd been friends for, for a couple of years and we had done spaces together before here and there, but we said, you know, maybe we should just, you know, do a few spaces on this. And then that turned into doing it Monday through Friday and having a whole branded Liberty spaces. And it was interesting because she and I were talking, okay, maybe we should start reaching out to some libertarians. I already know, I already know a lot of libertarians. Um, you know, I, I could hit up Maj Ture and I can hit up others who would be glad to, you know, kind of, you know, give me, you know, give us some insight and partner with us on, on things. And, and so she was like, so we were like, okay, we'll probably have to make some connections. Well, we didn't have to because y'all started reaching out to us yep. <laughs> within that first week and a half. We started hearing from the Mises Caucus, Libertarian Party of Texas, and and different people in the movement. Uh, Larry Sharp ha had me on his show, and I'd been on his show before. I met him in person a couple of years ago, and it just all start, started falling into place. And then I saw that that document came out in December on decentralized revolution. Yep. And it basically hit everything that I had been wanting to do with the Republican Party for years. I had been wanting to focus more local because I recognize that that though at that level, that's the most important and the most influential. Um, but it was very difficult for me to get involved in my local Republican Party here. It wasn't easy. Um, some of that was my schedule, but others, it just the way it's set up, it's just not easy to get in. You have to really work for it. But then here, but here we are now, and people are reaching out to us just because I started posting certain things, doing liberty spaces and stuff like that. And then when I saw decentralized revolution, I was like, this is the ticket. I like the way it was written. I like that it really hammered the mistakes that the Libertarian Party has made. Because that's something that the Republicans and Democrats don't really do. They blame everybody else when they lose because it's all part of a grift. And when I saw that, I was like, these people have the, the, the right idea. The Mises Caucus has the right idea to focus primarily local, do have a long-term focus because Republicans have a short-term focus. And that's how we affect change. And it, it, it was just the perfect fit. It all fell into place all at the same time. And so that, that, that's what I've been doing. I've been partnering with Libertarians. And, and when it comes to candidates, I will support anybody who is Liberty-focused. I'm choosing Liberty over party. So if they have an R next to their name, but I know that they're going to promote liberty, I have no problem bumping that guy up. I have a friend who, who fits that bill perfectly. If it's a libertarian, independent, or whatever, I don't care what the letter is, we need liberty-focused people at the, at, the, at the ground level who will work to protect our rights and to push back against the excesses of the federal and state government. So I'm, yeah. I'm really excited about, about this. This year's going to be pretty busy already. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really uh, glad to have you on. Um, uh, on on the train, so to speak, and and I'm sure there are things that, um, you know, we all have slightly different focuses and things like that. I, I'm even a minority, and like I have just such a burning hatred uh, for the Republican Party as an institution. Like, I won't vote for a Republican who's not named Ron Paul. Uh, I, uh, where there was this thing in uh, when I was with the LP in Ohio, 
they kicked our governor candidate off the ballot and um, we sued the uh, John Kasich and my name was on the lawsuit um, with a couple other guys suing John Kasich. And so I was like, I can't, but I can't vote for these guys. But I, I live in Knoxville, Tennessee, and our mayor is Glenn Jacobs, who. Yeah, Kane. Is, yeah, he's he's pretty great. Um, I, you know, I hope he doesn't hear this, but I, I didn't vote for him. I just, I just didn't vote just because. But I. You might I'm get choke slammed for that. Yeah, I know. I, I'm a pretty big guy, but he's like the one guy that uh, <laughs> I'm not going to mess with. But like, I still support him and th- point to him as a good small L libertarian. I got couple tiny quibbles with them another another time but I, I think you're right like we i think we we only got so many you know uh bullets in the magazine and we can't be going after guys like thomas massey or amash when he was in congress or um i i don't know exactly where tulsi's at and she's wrong on some things but like yeah. we we need to we really need to make common cause with those people ally on things maybe we vote for them maybe we don't we still got to run our own candidates um uh in races for ballot access and at the local level but my so i have this thing when republicans especially the last time around with masters and different people i i get i send out uh, most of the emails for the mises caucus so i get the responses and i get some people like libertarians are going to ruin it for the Republicans here. And and I'm either diplomatic or I don't respond. But when I do <laughs> respond to people in person, I'm like, just put up candidates that don't suck. Right. Like somebody was complaining about the Senate race in Pennsylvania. It's like, it's Dr. Oz. Like he, he obviously doesn't know much about policy. He's squishy on the trans kids thing. He doesn't know about, you know, he, he's obviously a joke, but you're willing to vote for him um just because yeah, but our next like, was named yeah yeah put put up guys that in don't georgia see. that they ran a freaking werewolf in georgia <laughs> and expected to win like yeah come on. so you put it uh, it's easy to put us out of business as a libertarian party and that's put up republicans who are actually true and i'm no you know i'm farther out than the constitution but like if you put up candidates who were like george mason and patrick henry and uh uh, uh james madison on a good day there'd be no need for us. Right. But that's not what the Republican party is. And so we got to try something different. And the local thing is um, to me, that's again, it's asymmetrical warfare. We mentioned in the article is that, you know, I've read a lot about the American revolution and like, if we would have got blue uniforms and stood out in the field with uh, up against the British army in their red uniforms and lined up and, you know, okay you know, uh, somebody, uh, start the battle, we'd have got, we got wiped out, but we took to the Hills. We evaded, uh, uh, we, uh, ran from battle at times and we picked our spots and, uh, it wasn't easy and we almost lost, but ultimately that, you know, being willing to try something new was the only hope they had and they made it work. And so I- I'm glad that new people are seeing that, and another thing I always want to say, and I, I know I'm talking too much, but like the um, I really admire and like a lot of some people in the Libertarian Party who are uneasy about the Mises caucus and even some people who don't like us. There are some sane people like that. Um, I, I admire the work they've done. They've done a lot of great work, tried to have good candidates, tried to build a party. And so I think a lot of their mistakes were honest mistakes. Sure. And and. And maybe at the time, 
it wasn't clear that it was a mistake. But I think that, you know, after the, the Gary Johnson campaigns, which Gary Johnson in 2012 was a lot better in 2016. Um, but like, again, uh, thinking that we're going to get a retread Republican governor or a celebrity, you know, to run on the LP ticket and somehow they're going to include us in the debates and everybody's going to listen to us all of a sudden and we're going to win. Like that's, that's just not going to happen. They'll see that coming a mile away. They'll shut down the debates. They'll, they'll find out the, you know, the FBI will somehow be looking into our candidate, mm-hmm. you know, so we got to go, we got to go around the other way. And um, I think that the the local thing has a, has a, has a chance of working and getting some people on, on board with, Hey, we can sometimes work outside this red versus blue thing and, and get things done. So, uh, and I'm, we need more people from different backgrounds in here to to strengthen numbers, right? The more mm-hmm. that pe- we see people like you coming on board, somebody else who is adjacent to where you are is going to be like, well, Jeff will give these guys a shot. Maybe maybe I should too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and, and that's the idea. And I can't tell you, I mean, since December, when I actually started going public with this stuff and telling my following, this is what I'm going to be doing. Since you came out, right? Since I came out, yeah. <laughs> Since since I converted, yeah. you're you're uh, tra- uh, trans political, right? Trans political. That's right. I, I identify <laughs> as anarchist now. Um, you know, it's 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 funny, but it's also a little heartbreaking because even on Red State, because I write for RedState.com too, and I'll write articles about liberty and about how the Republicans aren't living up to it. And, you know, I've got emails from readers. I've got people DMing me. Uh, Donnie has too. And people just reaching out saying, you know what? I'm fed up. I can't support this party anymore. I'm not going to give them another dime. Especially when that report on Red State came out about how the Republican National Committee was spending those donations. These are people saying, you know, they're going to put McCarthy back in charge. Ronan McDaniel is still going to be in charge. Mitch McConnell is still in charge. It's the same thing. It's the same status quo. There's not going to be any change. And there's, they're saying, I don't know what to do. I had one guy say, I don't know what to do because I can't support these people anymore. But I know that, you know, at the federal level, you can't really get much done. Yeah. And this is the answer. This, it, I, one guy said, you know, I feel like my voice doesn't even count. And I'm, and you know, I responded back to him, and I'm saying, you, you, you're kind of right. I mean, if you're talking federal level, and maybe to a lesser extent state level, but you're uh, in your mayor's race, your voice will count if you actually show up to vote, and if you yeah. support liberty-focused candidates. And this is, I think, this is the answer that a lot of disaffected Republicans are looking for. I mean, throughout my journey, journey, when I would look at what libertarians would talk about, I'd be like, well, this is what Republicans say. I mean, there's a lot of overlap. I'm like, this is what Republicans say. But Republicans are just are just kidding when they say it. Yeah. But these people are actually serious about it. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of this. We're going mm-hmm. to see a lot more people like myself, people maybe who actually liked the Republican Party, which I didn't, but they yeah. people who liked it who are disaffected, but they don't see another option. Mm-hmm. And when you when you educate people on the importance of making sure you have the right people as your sheriff, as judges, as city council members, as mayors, then I think that's when the light bulb is going to go off for a lot of people. I mean, a lot are still going to stay. They're still going to vote Republican because that's been ingrained into our psyches. But I I do expect to see more people coming over. I think it's already happening. Tell me a little bit more about the, the, you said there was an article on red state about 
it, was it about how like the Senate and congressional campaign, how they were spending donor money? T- let's go into that a little bit. Yeah, so the Republican National Committee, the, the RNC, uh, my managing editor did a whole expose on them. She wrote a couple articles about this, and she got actual copies of their expenditures. They were blowing hundreds and thousands of dollars on things like flowers, on alcohol, on a lot of things that had nothing really to do with getting people elected. They were basically squandering the money. And it was so much more that, that even in, she was very clever when she wrote this article because she also put what the Democrats were doing and it was far less, far mm. less. You know, you have Mitch McConnell pouring all this money into certain candidates that he likes, but not necessarily that the base likes because the, the, the leadership doesn't care what the base thinks. Right. And they don't want to win in the way the base wants to win. To them, winning is holding on to their positions and maintaining power. It's not really about winning elections. And even when they win elections, winning to them isn't pushing the agenda that they say they're going to push. It's holding on to their power. Mm-hmm. So that's that is the issue. And people thought that when Trump came along, he was going to shake that whole thing up. And he did to a certain extent. But all they had to do was wait him out. Yeah. I mean, he's lost a lot of his luster. He's still very well loved among yeah. conservatives. So don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's not the same. Um, and even if they put somebody like DeSantis in there, is can he really do anything to promote liberty? If anything, DeSantis has more of a chance of expanding the government than yeah. Trump does, because DeSantis has shown that he is yeah. not afraid to use the state yeah. to to get what to get his way. And there are a lot of people in the base that love that, especially the more populist crowd. But then yeah. you have people like myself who are terrified at the idea of the government growing even more, yeah. using it as a weapon, because we know it's going to be used against us. Yep. And they're they're looking for a home. So they're seeing. So it's all of these things, Aaron, that are playing together. There's the history that that, that, I always say we've seen this movie before. They tell they make promises. They say, elect us, give us the House and Senate in the White House and we'll do all the stuff that you want. Then they get in and they may they may cut some taxes here and there. Trump cut some regulations. That's good. But what else? They didn't do anything, do anything with Obamacare. They barely tried. And when they failed, they didn't try again because they were never serious about it in the first place. Right. And I think, you know, people talk about the Uniparty and some people will say, oh, yeah, the Uniparty, but they don't really understand it. When people realize that that electing a Republican isn't different enough from electing a Democrat, that's when you'll see more people. When people realize that, you know, Republicans always talk about, well, we need to win. Okay, well, when Republicans win, do you, the voter, win? The people who voted for them, did they win? No. Like my partner, Donnie, always says, if you're rooting for a team in the Super Bowl and they win, they get the rings. You don't get anything. It's the same thing. Right. I I think when people realize that it doesn't make enough of a difference to elect a Republican over a Democrat, again, that's where you're going to see more people coming over. Yeah. And I want to maybe take a little bit of issue with something you just said. Maybe maybe it's not even that. But you said that uh, sometimes, you know, um, some more right wing populists who want to use the state to do things. And I, I think you would agree with this. And I, I, I don't mean uh, uh, that you're uh, you don't understand this, but like populism is just like a method. Right. So a lot of times yeah. pop, populism can be like Huey Long, uh, uh, FDR back in the day from the left, chicken in every pot. You know, let's give put everybody on welfare a little bit. Um, it can be, you know, ugly, uh, racist uh, type stuff, or it can be 
look at these elitist pricks who are ruining our lives by printing money and and ruining our ability to save and and run businesses and create lives for ourselves and they're all part of the same club and we ain't in it like that's you know ron paul i think was a liberal uh, was, was a populist a to that extent yeah so, let, so let, I, let, let me clarify that a little yeah, bit. yeah. So when i'm talking about populism in this particular context because you're right yeah. it, it is a tactic it's not an ideology it's not an yep. end of itself it's a tactic but when i'm talking about populism in this context i'm talking uh ron DeSantis is going to use the government to punish disney yep. for publicly opposing a law that he champions right i'm yep. talking about people who want to use the government like well like matt walsh said we should be executing drug dealers trump has said that too yeah so there's that there's there's populism being used in that way so that's really what I'm referring to. That's making a lot of people right. uncomfortable in, in the base. But you're right. I mean, populism can be used for good. It, it's a tool, really. Yeah. It's like a hammer. You can use it to build a house. You can use it to kill somebody. And and even, um, you know, uh, Michael Heiss was on uh, the Reason, one of the Reason podcasts with Nick Gillespie and mm -hmm. I think Zach is the guy's name. And uh, Nick and the other guy were, they were just like apoplectic uh sort of obsessed with this idea of Ron DeSantis coming to power. And like some things like, if Ron DeSantis is using the government to like break down something else the government is doing, I'm fine with that. So, mm -hmm. in so, so not everything a governor could do to pass a law, you know, sometimes replacing something horrible like, you know, CRT in the schools right? or, or Disney getting special favors. And, and I, I'm not pushing back on what you said, cause I don't really know the details, but like if we're taking away benefits from, you know, crony capitalist uh, uh, winners in that game, or or we're banning something that the the public schools are doing to our kids. That's fine, but when it comes to, I have a sinking suspicion that, uh, and it, this is a good time to transition over into the uh, Matt Walsh stuff. That Republicans do they 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 some of the ones who will stand up, be populist in a good way on some things, like even. Uh, uh, Trump was good, at least some of the rhetoric on the wars sometimes, sure. but that same impulse, if you, if you're not disciplined and principled, then it's very easy for you to take that populist, um, uh, stance against the establishment to take it in the wrong direction. So right. Uh, what got all this, like this recent thing started, it was, was it Matt Walsh tweeting that we should basically be people for, uh, what, whatever, and then it moved on to the death penalty. Set, set the stage on that and talk about what, how you've pushed back on that. Yeah, so uh, yesterday he posted a tweet because somebody had tweeted um, like a, some footage of a mall in Singapore, and it was beautiful. And, uh, and he retweeted it and said, <laughs> in Singapore, drug dealers get the death penalty. They get executed. Petty thieves get caned. And that's why, and we are not willing to, to do that. So that's why we can't have nice things like this, which yeah. already doesn't make sense because I'm pretty right. sure we can find a mall in the United States that's even better than what, what was in that, in that yeah. video. But I, I understood the point he was making. And to me, when I saw that, because I've been, I'd actually, to give some background, I've been warning about this for a while among conservatives, especially December on, I've been saying, you're going to see more of a of a status authoritarian movement cropping up this year in the conservative movement. And, I, and you know, I've heard things behind the scenes and I knew this was coming. I could, I, I could see it even long before. And this was an example of that, the idea that you would kill somebody yeah. 
for selling a product that people willingly buy and put into their bodies. Yeah. And to me, that that just that encapsulates. I was so glad he tweeted that. Honestly, I, yeah. I know I was criticizing it, but I'm glad. I, I want them to expose themselves. Yeah. Because to me, I saw that and I'm like, no, no, we don't need to be killing people for drugs. As a matter of fact, there are better ways to handle that. Yeah. And we've been doing the war on drugs for decades. It hasn't worked. It's only destroyed lives. It has made things worse. Sending men with guns and badges to throw people in cages for smoking crack or doing cocaine has been a proven failure. Yeah. So to double down on that and take it even a step further, you're not solving the problem. You're doing what's going to make people feel good, which yeah. he and a lot of people post stuff like that just to get make people feel good. Trump yeah. does it too. And so I, I pushed back against that. Other people did too. And then, you know, you got a lot of the right-wing status who were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we should totally do that. And yeah. people think that caning in Singapore is just like a few swats. No, they beat the crap out of you yeah. for stealing a sandwich. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. And, and and the exact same argument that I'm sure – and again, I, I don't know Matt Walsh, his stuff super well, although – I listen to his stuff on Rogan and he, it's amazing how he could be so good on some things and then just be mm -hmm. really bad, especially like I was upset that as a Christian, he was, didn't really seem to be able to articulate a Christian worldview of things, even mm -hmm. though, even though Rogan kind of gave him a, a basically lot, some softballs, but like the argument of, Oh, let's um, you know, let's come down hard on drug dealers uh, and therefore there will be no drugs it's the exact same thinking that the left uses on guns. It's like, oh, let's just ban guns and uh, put some uh, uh, gun nuts in jail and all the guns will disappear. It's magical thinking. And like, are you telling me you can't score smack in Singapore, right? Like, of course you can. Like, you got to know who, you know, it's maybe not out in the streets, but I'm sure there's organized crime. I'm sure if you want a gun and you want heroin in Singapore, you can get it. And it's just a matter of who, you know, maybe certain people can't get it. But like, if you got money, um, you can get what you want. There's always a way around it. The law doesn't change what's in in people's hearts. And it, that's the thing is like, I think that I, I know why they tweet things like that. and I even know why they think that because I, you know, I see a lot of people, um, you know, friends and stuff like that who are on the right who in rightly so they kind of wish it was 1972 or 1958 right like a lot of things in america were a lot better back then in in some ways uh a few ways they're not but i think that they think i mean that's part of what the, at the basic level that's what the conservative impulse is it's like hey let's not tear down stuff that worked things worked better when i was a kid so let's go back to doing it that way you know never realizing that the stuff that's going on today was only go was going on back then. And it's grown into what we have today. The drug war was happening in, in the mid seventies and it, you know, so they, they're never really interested in striking at the root. They want to feel better yes. and they, they want the surface of things to look better. They don't want to be confronted with like, uh, I know conservatives are, uh, they're always up in arms about uh, homeless populations and stuff like that. And, and again, rightly so. I don't want that in my neighborhood either. I go downtown Knoxville sometimes, and it's like uh, it's like I'm in some movie, right? And there's a mm -hmm. couple of blocks down there where it's just it's mayhem, um, and uh, it's very easy to say, "Send in the cops with the batons. Let's fix this." 
but you know again they don't really want to look at what's what's causing all these things they want to make themselves feel better and mm-hmm. think oh let's just pass a law put a strong uh leader in office uh 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 you don't hear so much nowadays but when I was a kid, it was prayer back in schools and stuff like that, and everything will be better. But no, I mean, that that's just all surface stuff. It doesn't deal with what's really going on. It doesn't deal with the fact the Federal Reserve is printing money. The, the def- defense industrial complex is running the government and foreign policy, uh, that the schools are you know, just destroying the minds of, of kids. You know, So uh, it, it's interesting that uh, what kind of push – have you gotten any – are the people who are on the Matt Walsh side on this thing, is there any, um, I know I'm setting up a straw man or whatever, but like, are they like, are they coming back with anything? Like what, what's their comeback? And is, I mean, what what are they saying? Their comeback is that it works because look at Singapore, it's all clean and stuff. Now they're ignoring the fact that you can't just speak your mind in Singapore. You can't own a gun. I mean, they don't have the freedoms that, that we have. They don't really have much of an argument because again, this is, this is designed to feel good, not to have any substance. You will never hear a guy like Matt Walsh. And it's not just, I'm not just going to pick on him. Yeah. I mean, cause there are things that he's done that I like, like that oh, yeah. is a woman film. Yeah. Great film. He did an excellent job with that. So it's not, I, I hate Matt Walsh. I hate statism. And, yeah. but the, the comebacks are, well, yeah, if the government kills drug dealers that will cut down on this stuff a lot. And in some ways they may be right, but that doesn't mean it's the right solution. You'll never hear them come out and say, well, why don't we address the issues that lead to drug abuse? Yeah. I mean, why don't we address the issues that, that lead? Because you never hear them really talk about that. Okay, but what is another way? I mean, and, and Matt Walsh actually even posted another tweet saying, oh, oh, I'm getting a lot of pushback from what I said about Singapore. So I'm, I'm advocating for harsher punishments, but then – but but." People don't want to crack down on crime. They want to support drugs and crime. So to him, it's just a binary. Either you kill drug dealers or you like drugs and crime. Right. And he knows what he's doing. He knows that that will convince yeah. some people. But to me, it's it's like, why aren't you focusing on, on the root issue? This is what happens when you make the government God. Yeah. And that that is what's going on here. Because it's easy to use men with guns to solve a problem. It's a lot harder to figure out ways to get to the root issue, like you said, and to actually have a sustainable solution. I I always, I'm a nerd, so I always use the Star Wars analogy. You know, you talk about the dark side of the force, it's the quick and easy path. That's what the government is. And we have placed the government in that position to where we see it as this entity that's supposed to take care of our problems. So we don't really have to worry about it. But you you give it that much power, Anakin Skywalker always becomes Darth Vader. And he did it for good intentions. He wanted to make the universe better. He wanted to make the galaxy better. He wanted peace. He wanted to save his wife. But then he ended up killing kids. So that's what happens when you have that level of power. It it always corrupts. And to me, it's the the hard part, Aaron, is getting people to see that. Because they can't envision that because we've all been indoctrinated to think that the government is a solution. And it's just as bad on the right as it is on the left. The difference is that the left is actually honest about it. The left doesn't claim that they want limited government. The right does. But they don't even see that they are engaging in this idolatry of the state just in a different way. Yeah, it's a, it, it all goes back to my thing about the shortcut is it's it's offloading their moral responsibility 
um, to uh, get engaged with stuff. The, you know, the simplest thing is to pass a law. And what we're told, again, from day one, you know, I was uh, I was in kindergarten in 1980, and all through, you know, it was always schoolhouse rock. If you want to change things, uh, show up to uh, uh, you know write a letter to your congressman, and uh, the the law will will do this it's it's civics class as reality and it it just doesn't work and what is just amazing to me is um uh so when i when i was going through my little neocon phase uh back after 911 um i had a friend who's actually a conservative um and he told me he's like and he's like a paleocon um, really uh, uh, conservative Catholic. And he's like, oh, this this Patriot Act looks pretty bad. They're eventually going to turn it against us, mm-hmm. uh, the people. And I was like, no, this is, it's, it's, it's important. We got to do this. Um, and then obviously I was out of my mind delusional. And just look at what's happening with the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, insurrection that there are still people in solitary over that, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, clearly that was not, uh, you know, an attempt to overthrow the government. It was not, um, it, it wasn't anything that they're telling you it is, uh, you know, the lady on TV on Good Morning America telling you is she's lying about it. But because that was, uh, and again, it was disorganized. They didn't have a plan. I don't know if they had really have an ideology, but it was people expressing displeasure at what the government's doing from from the right. and within days there were billboards up the FBI wanting people to snitch on people who were there. Right. Like mm. the, the, the full weight of the deep state has come down on people. And the fact that conservatives can't see that. And if the, the, the deep state, the progressives get their way, like what, what do you think they're going to think about homeschoolers? What do you think they're going to think about uh, churches who preach uh, traditional uh, sexual um, uh you know, the way of looking at sexuality from the Bible. What do you think that uh, uh, they're going to be doing to uh, small businesses that, that don't want to comply with the latest environmental stuff. They're going to use that stuff against us. They're not just going to use it against, you know, you think of, Oh, it's a drug dealer. I I see drug dealers on TV. They're bad. And they live in the part of town I don't live in. So it's not my problem, but it's already our problem. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, they had people snitching on their neighbors for not wearing masks or for having too many people over their home. Yeah, you know, and it sounds good. Oh, there's a bunch of homeless people. Let's get some men with guns to get them out. Okay, that may sound all well and good, but if you give that government more power and more power and more power, what happens when somebody controls it who doesn't like you? Yeah, see, and you got a lot of people in the conservative movement who are saying, no, we need to use the government against them before they use it against us. Yeah. Oh, we need to use the government against them so that they can't use it against us. No, because you can you might be shooting them with that gun, but once they have it, it's gonna shoot it at you too. No, right. the solution is to take the bullets out of that gun. Yeah. So that nobody can use it against somebody else. I mean, it's like it's like this conversation on systemic racism. On the left, they're like, oh, there's so much racism in the government. And I actually don't disagree. I mean, I do believe in I, I think systemic racism still exists in our government. But what if that government wasn't as powerful as what it was? Mm-hmm. What if that government was stripped down to where it's just protecting our rights and things like that? 
then if they're racist, they can't do much about it. I don't care if somebody's racist, but they can't do anything to me about it. If you want to go live somewhere, you don't like me because of the color, color of my skin, yeah. that's fine. As long as you're not going to try to do something to me, as long as you're not going to try to do something about it. Yeah. A systemically white supremacist government can't do much to black people if it doesn't have the power to do it. Right. And, and that's what conservatives are missing. They think that once they have the government and use it against their enemies, that's going to be it. Right. No, it's not. It's going to keep going on and on and on. Take the bullet out of the gun, then it can't be used. Right. And and that's the thing is the, the conservatives, most of them, um, and certainly, you know, I think that we're maybe what we're seeing with, uh, I don't know, don't get me started on people like Ben Shapiro and, and stuff like that. They, I think some of them kind of understand the left, but they don't understand that the progressive movement has been around for more than a hundred years. Mm. They have the, it's the incremental strategy. They're fine with not getting, uh, you know, you know, guns as an example, the culture stuff um, is another thing they may push for, okay, let's just get this simple little anti-discrimination thing and hiring, uh, you know, stuff like that. And then now it's, um, uh, it's, uh, you know, protecting, uh, the, what they're doing to, to kids who are confused about things like yep. they're, they're fine with that incremental thing. They're willing to take jobs as school teachers and college professors and be on that team and, and just chip away at things because they're part of a, of a movement. That's where they get their identity and their meaning from. And they're playing the long game yes, they are. and there's always going to be one more thing to go. So like, they're fine in that. And so that's again, what like normal people, conservatives, and even some libertarians who are still blue pilled. I mean, that's uh, the pill thing is a little overused sometimes, Yeah, but they don't understand that. Again, there's that is not good, that impulse to use the state to remake society in your own image, whatever it is, is not going to go away. And you're not going to beat the progressives at their own game. You're just not. You'll push it back, but they're just it's a it's a slow wave. And the only way you can is like what you say. I use that analogy all the time. Like if there's a cannon on top of the hill shelling your town the solution is to take the cannon and melt it down, right? Mm -hmm. The solution is not to to turn it on somebody else and then try to defend that hill because they're going to come back and take it back. So, um, yeah. And in that, this case, progressives are better at using that cannon. You're at, you hit on a really good point there yeah. because this is in their political DNA. They, they've always been revolutionaries. They just changed up their tactics. I mean, we talk about schools and we think that this whole CRT and trans stuff just started happening. no. They've been laying, I mean, I've spoken with experts about this on my show. I've been talking to people in the education field. They started when you and I were kids. Yeah. That's when it started. Yeah. And it's progressed every single year. And we just found out about it yeah. uh, over COVID. So now we're playing catch up. And so, and now, and I do understand the impulse to use the government against them. But like I said, they are masters at it. We're not. Yeah. <laughs> and and again, so the, the whole post-libertarian thing too, it's like, like, do you really think that, um, you know, putting Republicans in office, like what's the evidence that they're even going to stem the tide? Like it, the the most famous example here lately is the DeSantis thing. Oh, he, they passed a bill that says, oh, you can't mention, I don't know if it was CRT or the, or the trans stuff or both, but it's like, oh, you can't talk about this 
in K through three. It's like, oh yeah, great. So wait till they're nine and then uh, yeah. then talk about the garbage. Like that's what uh, it's just it's just mind blowing. So I think it's lazy to think that um, that by electing a party that is proven that they're not principled, that you're going to get anything close to to liberty or even or even conservatism. So uh, I want to talk about you had uh, uh, one of the uh, recent shows of yours. Fresh perspective was with Darvio Morrow. Did I have the name right? Uh, yeah. Did I pronounce it right? Yeah. So he was talking about a race uh, uh, in Ohio, in I think Cleveland, Cuyahoga County, about uh, local politics and and kind of how those are uh, those go. Um, and again, with the especially with the Mises Caucus strategy of wanting to go local. I specifically want to talk about uh, what you guys were talking about, which was kind of the grip that, and, and this doesn't apply in like a, a lot of places, but in big cities or rich suburban uh, counties and stuff like that, there's a political machine that has a hold of things. And specifically in the cities, it's the Democrat machine and the, one of the key elements in their, in their, political machine is controlling and appeasing uh, the black vote. And so libertarians, we often, you know, Maj talks about it, that, you know, a black person who, you know, honestly looks at the world around them and looks at, you know, talk about systemic racism. And I, and again, we don't mean exactly the same thing that a lefty would, right. would mean when they say that, but like, it's hard to, it's hard to argue with, you know, somebody who's lived in, the hood for lack of a better term in the last 50 years, what has been done to that community and people living in that should respond to a libertarian message. There's all kinds of reasons why they uh, aren't willing to take that step, but how do we begin to, because we really do want people who have been screwed over by the state. And again, that's just about everybody. If you're not, you know, part of the, uh, part of the club. It's uh, mom and pop, small business owners in a rural county. And it's, you know, somebody, you know, a single mother with kids in West Dayton, where I near where I came up. Um, how do we, uh, in talking to people whose lives have been severely constrained by the state, how do we get them to realize um, that they should stand up and fight in a different way, maybe than they've, they've been they've been doing so uh we could do a whole conversation on that we can always come back we can always <laughs> yeah. come back and do this again um but yeah, because I I, this is something I, I really am, am passionate about i used to teach at uh i taught at a charter school for three years in uh the very poorest neighborhood in west dayton which is uh they have one of the worst school districts in the universe and it was a it was for kids who uh you know, who got kicked out of Dayton public schools. So like if you know, there's, there's some problems there and seeing all that those kids face, it's like, man, I really want to, I wish uh, we could do something to help those kids because they, they're smart. They can run their own lives. Mm -hmm. They're capable, but all the odds are stacked against them. Some of it's cultural from, you know, within the black community. I mean, some people, conservatives always like, oh, well, they should get their house in order. Well, you try doing that with what's happened to them, yeah. uh, with, with what the state's done to them. So 
if if they had freedom in those places after a couple of generations, we would be shocked at at, at how vibrant and uh, uh, it would be going. But how do we get from there to here? And I hate asking. Oh, you're the, you're black, so I got to ask you about this. But you I, write I don't it, care at all. No, yeah, that's fine. And uh, I, I, other people, I want to have. There's somebody I need to get to talk about Native Americans the same in, in mm-hmm. much the same way. But uh, some of the things in your discussion with Darvio, I was like, I don't know if he quite gets it. And so uh, there's a lot of stuff to talk about there. So let's uh, let's get into that a little bit, uh, knowing we may have to revisit sometime. Yeah, no, that's that's fine. Um, you know, I think at heart, most black people, especially black men, are more libertarian. Yeah. I mean, if you look at our history, who is responsible for most of what our ancestors have gone through? It hasn't been individuals so much. It's been the government. It's always been the government. It's been rich people protected by the government and vice versa. That too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and And the problem is that Democrats do to black voters what Republicans do to their voters. They know that they don't have to actually make a difference because they're still going to get the votes. Yep. They're still going to get the support. Yep. Um, and now, so it, it, it's it's a situation where black people are supporting candidates who may or may not have their best interests at heart because there are good Democrats who actually do try to make a difference. And, and, when, and some of them even adopt free market principles and they have been able to make a difference. So I'll, I'll give them that. But the other party is not an option because the other party doesn't show up. That's an opportunity for for the liberty movement. Um, Republicans are not going to show up face to face. We have to show up face to face. I mean, there are some Republicans who will and who are trying to push towards that direction. That's good. But realistically, they're not there yet. I don't know if and when they'll ever get there. Um, People like Maj is actually in the communities. And I'm talking about whether it's the hood that's predominantly black or suburbs that are predominantly black, like around Atlanta. Yeah. The, 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 the advantage that we have is that we are who the Democrats say they are. We mm-hmm. actually don't like police brutality. We actually do want accountability for our police. We don't want police abusing people. We want law and order, but Republicans are going to say, oh, you need law and order. We'll say, yeah, law and order, but that should also apply to the police. That's a big concern when it comes to, 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 to black folks. When it comes to the criminal justice system, we, want, we don't want to define crimes as anything that doesn't infringe on somebody else's rights, which means that you end the war on drugs. Black people yeah. hate the war on drugs. Yeah. Um, they don't like how it's been used. Democrats have done a little bit here and there, but in general, they're not fixing that problem. Yeah. Where, where, do, where does most police brutality take place? In those major cities run by Democrats. Yeah. We, so we have to focus on the areas of commonalities, the areas where we actually have solutions to the issues that Black people face the most. When it comes to economic issues, Black people are very entrepreneurial. They want oh, to start yeah. businesses, yes. But guess what? You have all these regulations that are designed to stifle small business ownership. You've got these occupational licenses for things like making hair and and doing hair and stuff like that. You got all these heavy taxes that Democrats will never remove. But you but you start talking that language and saying we're going to make it easier for you to start that business. All those taxes that you have to deal with. We're going to get rid of those. So that's one area that's economic. You've got crime. You've got criminal justice, education. You should be able to choose where and how your kids are educated. That is very much supported by the black community. Their yep. leaders don't support it. Yep. 
So it's it, a lot of it is doing what Republicans should be doing, but they won't because, I mean, when it comes to criminal justice, they're OK with our criminal justice system the way it is. They don't really care about police brutality. We do. Yes. So really, it's a matter of making that connection face to face sustained. Then you can start making those inroads. You start forming relationships with people in the community, educating people on what libertarianism is, because most black people don't know what it is uh, on our spaces that when, when me and Donnie do them, we get a lot of black people in there. They're curious. So black people are looking for, for something else. We have yeah. to provide that. I will tell you where we might, where we're going to have some difficulties. And again, we, we should have a longer conversation about this. But when it comes to civil rights law, things like that, you know, a lot of libertarians want to repeal the Civil Rights Act and, and things like that. When it comes to racial discrimination in, in businesses, freedom of association, all that, we're going to have to work some of that stuff out if we want to reach black voters because- mm -hmm. We are very sensitive about our history and about oh, yeah. how things, how certain things have been allowed by the government and done by the government, and what little protections that that we do have from the federal government. It's going to be a hard sell to convince them that those things are are should be removed. Yeah. So that's that's going to be an issue. Other than that, I think that we have a really good opportunity because yeah. we are we are everything black people say that they want. Yeah, and, and I think. Uh your point about going and it's incredibly difficult to do, especially in a, uh, you know, in, in terms of like a presidential campaign or something like that, because, you know, what, 350 million people in the country and what, 10, 12 percent people are black. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, you can't go and shake hands with, you know, 30 million people or whatever. But I think it's it is imperative that local parties yeah. um, and, and start building those relationships. And what you said is a hundred percent true. It's true in the culture, you know, I'm Appalachian American, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's true in the black community that it's very easy. Uh, they might agree with something that you say that they see uh, on a podcast or something like that, but to be, to stand in the same room with someone, look them in the eye, shake hands with them, like, you build a little more trust that way. And so even though that's, again, there's no shortcuts, right? You got to do these little things and you build credibility with people. And so somebody who doesn't know me and I, I'm coming at them with the philosophical argument on the civil rights act or whatever, they're going to be suspicious. But like, if they know me as a person and have sat down and had lunch with me, um, had a beer, you know, something like that, then it's like, oh, maybe this guy is not, maybe I should listen to what he has to say. So you have to build, if you build some like personal credibility with somebody, they're going to give more weight you have to say, because like, and that's one thing libertarians think we can do mm -hmm. is because we're right on things or obsessed with being right and being uh, morally consistent. We think everyone else is the same way. We think we can argue people into thinking, the right thing, but you, most people aren't like that. And building, there's no substitute for building trust and personal connections. And then you're like, oh, this guy's okay, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, you could tell your people that we're okay. I could tell my people that you guys are okay. You build the, you build a larger community. And we're, we, we need to do that online on podcasts and Twitter. And I want to do more of that. I want to get our guys on your shows, uh, we'll get Mike on your show, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, even, you know, other conversations, let's have them. But uh, to the as we're building the Mises Caucus and the LP, 
the local strategy, you can't just like tweet at them. You got to go. Uh, you got to break bread. You, you got to go hang out and okay, where, where are the fried green tomatoes at in your neighborhood? Let's go have some, right? Like that's, uh, that's my, uh, uh, that, that's my uh, thing that I like. And so I, I'm sure you like them too. So like that yeah. we need, to I mean, I would tell that. Republicans that all the time and, yeah. and the base, the base wants more black people in the Republican party. The yeah. leadership does not. Cause and they don't need say, them. They don't need them. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, okay, if you want to win over black voters, you got to go there face to face. Oh, well, they'll just call us racist. Well, do you think that they're going to stop calling you racist if you don't go? Here's right. the thing. If you're, if you're showing up consistently, and, and listening and not just going there to argue and to, and to sell your stuff. It won't matter if they call you racist. Cause you know, black people, uh, contrary to what you might think, we're actually smart. If we see a white person in front of us and we've had coffee, we've had beers, we've had lunch and then CNN calls him racist. I'm going to be like, no, he's not racist. I know this guy. Right, I mean, right. governor Mike Huckabee, prime example. He won 50, almost 50% of the black vote when he ran for governor. I interviewed him. I asked him how he did it. He said, well, I asked for it. I showed yeah. up. Yeah. I spoke at black churches. I didn't just wait until election season. I was hanging out in black communities, finding out what they needed. It's yeah. really that simple. Republicans aren't going to do it. But if we do it, I, I, think, I think over time, because we're going to take some L's at first, but over time, that sustained effort is going to mean something. Yeah. And that's one thing I... Uh, someone gave me the advice when I was going in to teach at this charter school where I was uh, most of the time I was the only white person on staff and I wasn't too nervous, but I was a little nervous. It's like, yeah, what are they, you know, what's a 16 year old black kid going to think of this, you know, 30, 35 year old, you know, white guy with a red beard. Right. So the advice I got was just be honest, never lie. Don't talk down to people and you'll win their respect. And like I, I, black people do have a pretty good, uh, I hate the stereotype, but they got the good BS detector, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, they're not the only ones who do, but like, you got to be willing to be uncomfortable. This almost sounds like uh, uh, the left. You got to have uncomfortable conversations, <laughs> but no, you got to be, you got to be willing to walk into a place where you're not, you know, it's not your joint. And, and, I, and I've been in a place like that and I don't get like, looked at and sir do you know where you are right like mm -hmm. people are fine you got to it's uncomfortable you got to be able to do it you got to be willing to make social faux pas and stuff like that and put it out there and build those uh, uh I, again it's cliche build bridges all that but like again it's looking people in the eye and realizing that it is us against them. Like it's not black versus white it's the state versus the rest of us. Right. And and we're not gonna and that and again that's why uh and we're probably gonna have to wrap up uh, uh i go as long as you want today but uh the i think it's interesting that a lot of the crt stuff if i i, I it's not i didn't come up with this uh, other people have charted this stuff about crt and all the buzzwords associated with that if you look at the google incidents of those words in in print and online uh, before 2008, 2010, the, you know, it's talked about in academic journals, stuff like that, where it's been uh, building for 50 years or, or more. But when the left and the right started to both turn their eyes at the Federal Reserve, uh, you know, when there's Occupy Wall Street and the Ron Paul movement uh, saying, OK, what's Wall Street and the Federal Reserve doing? Boom. 
there it comes the left and the right elements of it looking at the at the where the problem is and then all this division stuff over sexuality and race and identity and you know it's obvious that it's meant to the worst thing for the state is for uh you know the people who live in uh northern knox county and uh, uh uh down in east east knoxville to realize that we're on the same team right that's exactly what they don't what the state doesn't want so that's what we got to fight against Definitely. I was just talking about this on one of our spaces. I mean, we look at the way things are right now. We're at each other's throats. D versus R, black versus white. These are all perfect things to use to, to divide people. And I said, this is this this didn't happen organically. This yep. is not a natural occurrence. This is engineered by the state and by the people who support them, by the elites, by the activist media, because they don't want us paying attention to them. It's not about left versus right per se. It's about authoritarianism versus liberty you can be on the left and like liberty i mean there, there are people who do and th that is a, that's exactly why they're trying to divide us because i mean a friend of mine ross he, he always says you know white rednecks have a lot more in common with black folks living in the city than it, than it might appear but they don't want those two groups talking do they they yeah. don't <laughs> and, yeah. and so it's better to keep them at odds it's better to say oh uh, white people in rural areas are all racist oh black people in this in the city are all gang members it's better to put forth that that narrative because yeah. for them because yeah. it keeps the attention off of what they're doing yeah i got one other little tiny avenue before we wrap up but to speak to what you just said I was driving in West Knoxville uh, the other day, which is kind of, that's where the malls are. And, you know, it's where all the, it's uh, uh, suburban middle class. And then farther out, it's upper middle class. And I was out that way and I was driving, coming up to a stop sign behind a truck that was turning left. It was a stereotypical pickup truck that, you know, jacked up a little bit. He had all kind of, it was dirty. Uh, had all kinds of stickers on the back window, uh, you know, hunting this, guns that. And uh, I, I saw the sticker first that I'm going to tell you about. I pulled up next to him and he was stereotypical good old boy, uh, you know, 30-year-old, uh, you know, white country boy. One of the stickers, one of the biggest stickers on the back of his pickup was Black Guns Matter. And nice. I'm like, that, I was like, I wish that I could have like, it was really cold, so our windows weren't down, but like, oh, I wish I could have, uh, 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 but but starting to see things like that um, and, you know, what Maj is doing, uh, I really want to um, keep pushing into that both online and in real life. Because um, Twitter, as Dave Chappelle told us, is not a real place. Not a real place. Can I tell you? Uh, can I tell you a quick similar story? I got all the time you want. I'll, okay. I'll waste all of your whole afternoon. But about a week and a half, I was driving back to Austin from Dallas, yeah. and I stopped in this little podunk town in Texas. Uh, I believe it was the city of West. I was stopping at a bakery, and I was wearing my Black Guns Matter shirt. I don't wear political slogans, by the way. I only make an exception for Black Guns Matter because I I really believe in what Maj is doing. I think it's important. But I was wearing my olive green Black Guns Matter T-shirt, and I walk in. And I'm standing in line, only black guy in there, 
So it's very uh, not not a lot of melanin in that in that joint. And what, no, nobody drew down on you because a big scary black man with gun a gun on his two, shirt. <laughs> two two people came up to me and said, "I love your shirt." I know, and that happens a lot, by the way. Like yep. it happens, like it, it even in Austin. I was standing on a corner. I was walking somewhere, and this guy drives up, rolls down his window, and says, "I love your shirt." It, it's it's not the way Twitter makes it out to be. I mean, yeah. there's always this thing, oh, well, if black people started getting guns, then Republicans would pass gun laws. <sighs> no, no, sorry, yeah. bro. That, that ain't yeah. the case. At least not the base, not the regular folks. No. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, so I guess that's kind of maybe my last uh, thing is some other um, uh, people online, uh, ways that we can start cross-pollinating. And, and not now I'm not just talking about uh, uh black liberty adjacent people but like in that kind of space like liberty nation is conservatarian mm -hmm. uh which when sometimes when people say that i hate it but the liberty nation guys are great especially scott casenza yes and uh uh, uh angelides and, and some of those guys the uprising podcast is really good mm -hmm. um so some uh how do we reach out to some of these people who maybe are uh uh liberty leaning who kind of they see a matt walsh tweet about caning and the death penalty for drug dealers and they're like uh like where are the cultural um avenues where we can start talking to people both black community white community people who might be wanting to listen to us and and who we can learn from like who should i have on my show who should my people be listening to and following on twitter I mean, I would say pretty much anybody at, at Liberty Nation, especially yep. Scott, um, my friend Jim Fight, uh, lives out in Podunk, uh, Arkansas, grew up way differently than I did, but that dude's all about liberty. We were just having a conversation about, you know, this whole ATF thing where they're going to abolish the ATF. And we were just saying, you know, maybe they should just abolish all these agencies. How about that? You know, yeah. I mean, great guy. I mean, um, I mean, I can help put you in touch with some of them. I'm mean, sure. Uh, they they don't use Twitter the way I do. Um, okay. Most of them don't. <laughs> but um, but e but even folks at Red State, there there are more lib liberty minded pe uh, people there as well. Um, you know, and even you know, in my network, I know I know a lot of people that would be great to have on, on this podcast and to continue these conversations. Um, they would actually probably even like to have some of you guys on because they because Liberty Nation has multimedia. I host one of their shows. I mean, I'll yeah. have some people on too. I mean, yeah. I think it'd be great to make that connection yeah let, let's do that um and two on uh, uh another thing that you know ron paul always said it um and uh michael heiss has been talking about a lot is is and not we don't have to talk politics all the time too like we can talk about music and uh, movies and guns and you know because you can enjoy guns and not be political about it um mm -hmm. so uh some people like Zubies may be a good example of that. I don't know if he's fully libertarian or whatever, but like he came to one of uh, our events at the convention back in May. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a pleasure to meet him. Uh, so other people like that, uh, that are just uh, somebody who would be a cool hang, right? Like uh, uh, that are, cause we need to build up this alternative culture um, that is different from the culture you and I grew up in, which was the three networks, CNN, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the New York Times, right? We're building something. It's small now, but it's getting bigger. And so who do you think some of those um, cultural sort of icons in, in this uh, alternate uh, uh, 
uh, decentralized culture, who do you see as rising up as as being people that uh, um, are going to be a, a, a voice for good generally? Yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, uh, my friend Olivia Rondeau, she's great. Okay. She's a powerhouse. Yep. She she identifies as more of a conservatarian, yep. but I mean, she she's open minded and she's she's a powerhouse. She's doing yep. a lot of great stuff. She's on Fox Business all the time. Yep. Uh, young, um, and it's great. And and her boyfriend Patriot J. I mean, he's I don't know if he's still making music, but he he's a rapper. Um, okay. People like him. Um, Let's see. Um, that's like I think that's all I can think of off the top of my head, but I'm sure more will come to mind. So I'll, yeah. I'll definitely let you know. Yeah, we'll talk more about that. And uh, yeah, like we can get some of our people on on your shows, and uh, mm -hmm. we're gonna have Donnie on if we can at some point. She would love uh, that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I uh, and hopefully I might be able to make the take human action tour thing in Austin. I'm gonna try, um, but uh, hopefully we'll meet in a uh, uh, real space. Uh, uh, sometime soon. Uh, go ahead, uh, as we always do. Now's the time for, for plugs. How how can and we'll put all this uh, decentralizedrevolution.com/slash ninety eight. We'll put all the links. But uh, where where can people uh, exactly how to get to the Liberty Spaces thing and and where else they can uh, engage with your stuff? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, it's at Jeff on the right. And that's, you know, I, I typically do we do our spaces from my Twitter account. So that's um, every Monday through Friday, most Mondays through Fridays, every night, sometimes we take some time off, but Monday through Friday at eight o'clock Eastern time, and we'll always be doing different topics. Uh, you can read my stuff, like you said, at Liberty Nation. Um, I'm also at Red State. Uh, my podcast is A Fresh Perspective with Jeff Charles. And also, I just started a Substack called Chasing Liberty, which is actually the title of my upcoming book that's going to be dropping on February 25th. So you can uh, do pre-orders pre there. If you sign up for an annual subscription, only 50 bucks, you'll get a copy of the book uh, when it comes out. And you'll also get premium content. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'll be writing on there quite a bit. Uh, also, I do satire too. Um, that's another Substack. It's called The Smattering. So if you want to check that out, that that's awesome too. People, are, uh, I I, I kind of get in trouble for my satire sometimes. Okay. But it, I may maybe I'll talk about. I I just saw that when I was looking you up earlier today again because uh, I've been listening to some of your stuff and I saw that I was like, oh, I need to check that out. So, mm -hmm. and occasionally I have an idea. And I used to be a, a newspaper reporter. So like I I can do really good like I can write it the way they would write yeah <laughs> they would write it so maybe if I come up with an idea I'll send it your way but uh, uh yeah so decentralizedrevolution.com slash ninety eight uh yeah just really a blast getting to to know you and we're definitely going to be doing um uh we definitely need to talk again uh in some capacity and uh, anything you ever need from us um uh just holler and uh, we'll do what we can and uh, uh, introduce, uh, uh, keep cross pollinating. And, uh, uh, and so thanks for coming over to the party. And I hope that we, the LP continues to live up to, you know, because in the past it has been kind of a joke at times and we're doing what we can. Angela's doing a great job over there. So um, keep holding us accountable and keep uh, it's again, it's new, new blood coming in. Who, that's going to, uh, make it a healthier uh, party and, and and help us do Project Decentralized Revolution. So uh, keep up the great work, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Looking forward to coming back. All right, there you have it. I'd like to thank Jeff Charles for his time and wisdom, uh, for his courage 
to take the leap and come on over to the LP and to uh, sort of keep preaching the liberty message over in the, you know, the conservative uh, space where they're kind of giving us a look. Uh, I think it's important we have uh, people who can bridge that gap and bring them this way uh, instead of our people going the other way. Uh, link up with Jeff, uh, get to the project Decentralized Revolution document at the show notes page, decentralizedrevolution.com slash 98. Thanks to my co-producer, Simon Kalpin. Thanks to Dave versus Goliath for all the music you hear on Decentralized Revolution. And of course, thanks to everyone who subscribes to our email list and gives to Mises Pack at TakeHumanAction.com and uh, everyone who shares, rates, reviews, and subscribes to Decentralized Revolution. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.